Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Get Rich Slow Club podcast is a collaboration between Tash Edgman from Tash Invest and Anna Christina from Perla. The Get Rich Slow Club acknowledges the traditional custodians of the land we record on. From coast to coast, across land, waters, and communities, we pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Any advice is general and does not consider your financial situation, needs, or objectives, so consider whether it's appropriate for you. Welcome to the Get Rich Slow Club podcast, where we take you from beginner to confident investor, where we can teach you everything you need to know about investing. So come get rich slow with us. Oh, hello and welcome back. Hi, Anna. Hey, Tash. How are you? Good. I'm very excited because today we are going to be talking about all things money psychology, but we have a really cool new idea for how we're going to start each episode. Yeah, we thought it would be a great idea to come up with a money win or loss of the week. So uh, Tash, do you by any chance have a win or a loss of the week when it comes to money? Yeah, I think my one this week is I'm going to Canberra right after we finish recording this podcast, but I paid for it with my Qantas points. So my flight, I think ended up costing me like $50 for an almost like seven, $800 flight. So definitely money win of the week because it's right before Easter. That's when we're recording this now. Oh, and I bet flights are really expensive. So that's a massive win. Yeah. And it's a direct one. It's only Qantas that does direct from Perth to Canberra. So they're at a premium usually. When I go with Virgin, I have to have like a little layover. So that is definitely my money win of the week. I can save money and time as well. What's your money win or money loss of the week? Well, mine's not as big as having a flight paid for. But what I did learn about is that Woolworths has these reward points called Everyday Extra and you pay $7 and you get 10% off. The thing is they have a glitch in their system. So you're supposed to only use the 10% off once, either online or in store, but you can use it for both. So I have, and also I use one of those extensions on your web browser that's called Honey and they throw out the coupon coupon code for you. So if you don't want to sign up for it, you can use that. (laughs) So that was, that was an awesome win. I do have a loss as well. 
I have dividends sitting in my account, not being invested, not making any money. So they're just sitting there. Boo, 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 hoo. I need to invest those. So that's (laughs) That's the loss of the week. (laughs) But I guess it's still a win because you you got dividends. So money win and money loss tied into one. Yes, because dividends are magical when you're investing. Yay. (laughs) Back into what we're going to talk about today. Today, we're going to explore the psychology behind money and the common limiting beliefs that can prevent people from taking the first step towards investing or improving their financial situation. Money is a topic that can evoke strong emotions in people. And many of us have beliefs about money that can hold us back from achieving our financial goals. So in this episode, we're going to explore some of the most common limiting beliefs, analysis paralysis, and circle of control. So before we get started, what is actually the definition of money psychology? Money psychology is the study of how our beliefs, attitudes, and emotions around money affect our financial decisions. Now, this is important because it can influence the way we spend, save, and invest our money. And by understanding our money psychology, we can identify any kind of limiting beliefs we have and the behaviors that are holding us back from making positive changes to improve our financial situation. I definitely had a lot of limiting beliefs when I first started investing. One of my biggest ones was that investing was for rich people, but actually you don't need to be rich to invest. Investing is what makes you rich and you can start with $5. Yeah. That ties into the one that I thought a lot about, which is um, that I just don't have enough to invest. I thought that you really needed like tens of thousands of dollars to invest because that's kind of what I heard about, but that's actually inaccurate. Like you said, you can start with $5, which makes it so much more achievable for anyone. Yeah. It's not one of those all or nothing things. Like you don't have to completely commit to investing. You can just build the habit slowly on the side as you do other life things as well. Um, Another one of mine was that it's too complicated or risky or too complex. I'm just going to lose all of my money, but it's actually not as complex as I would have ever imagined. Um, I always saw those like fancy trading screens, the the men in their suits doing all the fancy finance things, but like, it's so much easier than that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. And that's why also we're doing this podcast to try to make it less complex. So we're talking about it because the next one I have on my list is that money is taboo. So we're, we're demystifying the taboo-ness of money. I was always like really surprised about this one because when I was younger, uh, my family openly spoke about money. I was always the person asking everyone how much they earned or what they, how much their house was or like how much they were spending on a holiday. So I never really quite got this one, which is, yeah, different to a lot of people, I think. I think it depends on where your background's from and how your family talks about money. Like you said, you guys were very open, whereas a lot of families might not be. And if you come from a family that maybe is low income or even in debt or spend a lot of money and live beyond their means, that can be a little bit taboo because there are certain things that people might not want to talk about, which may kind of be embarrassing. The part about money being taboo for me is I found quite a bit was income, talking about income, like how much do you actually make? make. So, you know, how much a house costs or how much a holiday costs is one thing, but talking about actually what you're worth financially in your career is an awkward, awkward conversation to sometimes have with your friends, with your colleagues, especially if you're a high or low earner. So that was always really taboo for me. I I remember my very first job out of university. I had a friend who worked at the same company as me. She was maybe two years older than me, tell me how much more she made than me. And then I realized I was the lowest paid person 
person in that company because I got hired straight out of university. It was an awkward conversation for me because I was being paid peanuts, but also at the same time, it was empowering to know that I can go and ask for more money. And I did. Yeah. That's awesome. Having those like income conversations, pay transparency is so important. I think I've only recently come up and experienced that because I always worked in like health-based roles where you kind of all just got paid the same. You all got paid the award rate. There wasn't really any room to negotiate and everyone was just getting paid the same. So it wasn't really those conversations. Um, whereas now I've had a bit more and it's, yeah, it's, it's a huge conversation and I'm really glad like in Australia, they've taken out the pay secrecy. Was it the laws? Like they're changing in June this year. I'm pretty sure. So that's pretty exciting. The next limiting belief is that money can't buy happiness. This is a pretty debated topic. What do you think on this one, Anna? Ooh, well, I've heard that study where if your income hits around $75,000 US, that it kind of levels out. But new research has come out that that's not actually the case and that happiness does not plateau after 75K, that instead it actually continues to rise as your income increases well beyond 200,000. So uh, in conclusion, money can make you happier. Um, And a huge reason for this or what they've realized is that if you are an unhappy person, so if you're rich unhappy, you're probably just going to continue to be unhappy as you receive more money. But if you actually have a lower income and your money increases, you continue to be happier as well. Yeah. There was a study I read from Harvard called, if money doesn't make you happy, then you probably aren't spending it right. I definitely think this kind of hit the mark for sure. And they had a few suggestions on how to actually spend your money to make you happier. Um, but I think, yeah, there's like obviously factors that money cannot change, but there is a lot of things that you can do with your money to improve your life and improve your happiness and improve your well-being. One of them, which I definitely love, was to buy more experiences and fewer things. And I feel like I've definitely done this over the last few years because I value doing things and adventuring and seeing people way more than just buying the latest new, whatever it is. And I think when you're talking about money and happiness, it's not that money makes you happy. Like you said, it's it's the experience that you get. For a lot of people, it's security. Having the security, I think for for me specifically, is if I were to lose my job or something were to happen to my partner, having the finances to support and to secure my family is really emotionally like important for me. And that's where that happiness comes from. Yeah. Yeah. If you're thinking about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, um, mm-hmm. if you've heard of that, yeah. So the base level is like, you need all the secure stuff. You need food, water, shelter. You need to be feeling safe. So you can't like improve your self-esteem or like work towards your goals and work towards being the best person you are. If you don't have the basic needs being met, if you don't have shelter, if you aren't feeling safe and you don't have security, then you can't move up that hierarchy. So yeah, like without those basic things, then it makes it a lot more difficult to be happy. I think it's what a lot of these um, studies miss when they're talking about it. And they just like slap a number on it when the cost of living in different places varies, the cost of raising a family varies, the cost of like people's family structures are all different as well. So it's hard to just have one amount where people reach their happiness level. Exactly. Um, There's a few other things this Harvard study said, like kind of suggested that you can do to spend money to make yourself happier. So I said the experience is one already. Um, another suggestion was to use your money to benefit others rather than yourselves. So donating, helping a friend out, stuff like that. Another one was to buy many small pleasures rather than fewer larger ones. So you get that constant dopamine or excitement hit when you're buying those smaller things or the smaller experiences. Another one on this list, which links really well into buy now, pay later and how harmful they can be is delaying consumption can increase your happiness. Um, so in this study, they were talking about how planning and anticipating a holiday or something in the future increase someone's happiness a lot more than when they got on the trip and they were thinking back to it. So the act of planning for the holiday 
gives you a lot more happiness and joy than actually going on the holiday and thinking about it and reflecting about it afterwards. With Buy Now Pay Later products, when we are buying something immediately and we've not saved for it and had the whole journey and anticipated the purchase, we're not getting the same level of enjoyment or happiness from it as if we'd actually saved for it and waited and bought it in the future. I find that type of psychology so fascinating because we're such complex humans, right? Like the anticipation of something, the dopamine hit that continues and also just like the self-worth of being able to save up for something. You know, like I know as a kid, when I was saving for something like a toy that I wanted, there was, there was such pride in getting it eventually, which I think gets lost so quickly with, with these buy now pay later products, or just being able to use a credit card or even just not having cash, like cash in your hand. There's a psychology behind that physically touching something, physically giving it away is um, a very emotional thing. So uh, it's fascinating to think about how this plays into happiness as well, right? Yeah, well, I can definitely see it in my life. Like I get so excited about booking a holiday and then when I actually go on it, like, yes, it's still exciting, but it's not the same level of excitement where I'm researching all the hotels and researching the flights and like, like, oh my God, here's what I'm going to pay with my points for and all of that kind of stuff. So I can definitely see it. And the one about buying like smaller things rather than one big large thing as well, like booking regular weekend trips rather than just one Europe holiday every few years, whatever it is. I can I can definitely see how that all plays into my life. So in summary, money can buy happiness. <laughs> which which is hard to uh, admit, but I guess it's true. Now that we've talked about limiting beliefs, I wanted to touch on something that really helps with my motivation and it's focusing on things inside my circle of control. So when tracking progress, I like to track things such as how much I save and invest each week, my income, my expenses, and my money habits. These are all things that I can directly control or directly influence myself. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Things that I don't have direct control over, which are outside of my circle of control, are things like the stock market returns, inflation, interest rates, house prices, or my net worth, because obviously the stock market returns will influence my net worth. Um, And while those things are all great and a lot of fun, and I love to track my net worth as well, I can't directly control it. So it can be really disheartening when the stock market drops and you're like, oh no, I've tried so hard and it's not making any progress. I like the way to think about your circle of control as things that you can affect behaviorally. You know, you can reduce your expenses. You can potentially increase your income. There are money habits that you can change and so forth. Of course, some things are limited, but they're all things that you can physically do through habits and through discipline. Whereas the other side, all of those things outside of your control, you, you can't really affect your house, housing prices or inflation. So you can track them and you can look at them. And myself, I also 
also track my net worth because I like to track things, but it isn't actually a representation of what I'm doing. And that's why I think tracking things like habits and Atomic Habits is an amazing book for anyone who hasn't read it. Go read it. It's fantastic, especially in talking about money and my money psychology as well. It can then affect and influence the way that you're thinking and doing things. Yeah. And things outside of your control will definitely influence things inside your control as well. Like if you're made redundant, like that's not directly within your control. But I think if we just focus on the things that we can change and we can improve, then we're going to be a lot more motivated to keep going. Yeah. And a lot of this actually ties into money beliefs that we have. So one of the things that people talk about quite a bit is money mindset. And what that is, is actually just thinking about your relationship with money and how you feel about your own beliefs. A lot of that starts with your family and what your community says and talks about money. And and that's why also we're talking about money in this way. It's like, how do you connect with that? And so I think it's just really important to, to have that conversation with yourself and think about where do your beliefs around money come from and how are you actually connecting with them? So this can kind of be very challenging and, conf- and confronting, but it's really important to take a moment to think about that. What, what are some of your money beliefs? I grew up in a household where money was kind of seen as an abundance. Like you could make more money, you could invest. It was a very positive thing. And it was seen as a tool to get the things that we wanted to get. So I viewed it in a very positive way. And I kind of just believed that if you worked hard enough, you could make more money, which is a very beneficial mindset to have from a young age. But I know not everyone has those beliefs from the start. That's a really great one to have uh, with money. Whereas I, I think mine are a slightly nuanced. There was a lot of money belief around saving um, and being really frugal. I think I've mentioned this a few times. My my family's an immigrant family. So it was very much about not being flashy, not spending a lot of money secondhand um, and so forth. But there was security around that. I have another one that I've been thinking quite a lot about recently as a parent. So my mom was a stay-at-home mom when I was a kid. And in a way, that was fantastic because you have someone looking after you. But then on the other side, it really made me think about being a woman and a parent and a career, which is something that I'm very driven in my career. And so my money mindset around being a woman who is also a breadwinner, who is also a caretaker has been very limiting for me, like in the sense that I feel very conflicted, right? Like, um, (laughs) as a, as a parent and working and wanting to care and how to three different roles. Exactly. And that's something that gets talked about quite a bit when you enter motherhood, you know, um, and feeling guilty about leaving your children at childcare while working. And those are things that I feel very conflicted about because my family didn't do that. You know, it was kind of frowned upon that you had someone else look after your children. So I'm still battling that at, you know, the ripe old age of 39. (laughs) Yeah. I haven't like thought too much about it, but like mine was definitely very similar. My mom stayed home. Like we moved overseas to dad's work. We like made choices for dad's work and dad's career. And then when we moved back to Australia, um, mom went back to work and was very like big on prioritizing her career and her goals in the future. But definitely seeing that, like her returning to work and her like fighting for pay rises too, was definitely very, very, interesting compared to how it was when I was younger. But yeah, like that all influences it as well. And then when we talk about parental leave and who's going to stay home and be the primary caregiver, like that conversation is really interesting because it's obviously assumed that the female often stay home 
um, if they're in a heteronormative relationship. Yeah. But that's not always the case. And actually, hopefully we see more of a shift in this space as more men in heteronormative relationships take on the carer role. And a lot of that comes down to parental leave and paid parental leave. I could go on about this topic forever. Let's save it for another future episode. (laughs) But um, it is absolutely a limiting belief that happens for so many of us. And as a lot of women become the higher income earner in heteronormative relationships, this is also going to continue to shift. So I'm very curious to see how um, society and how parental leave moves in this space. Yes. Hopefully more changes very, very soon. Um, I was talking a bit about like my abundant money mindset, but I know a lot of people grow up in families. I think like you were saying as well, where you were saving a lot more and we're very frugal, where it's more of a scarcity mindset. And there's lots of like events that can kind of impact that or impact your money beliefs. Like you were saying, your family like immigrated and you were being frugal. Other things could be like being part of the GFC or being part of a financial scam or seeing someone lose a lot of their money or just like watching someone struggle to pay bills. And money seems like a very scarce resource compared to if like for my family, for example, it was, a very abund- it was in abundance. So the mindset there is very different. I was just going to say the GFC is the global financial crisis yes, for, thank you. for those who um, are unaware. It was like a big drop in the market and affected a lot of people. And actually the psychology of money, the book that we've referenced in our previous episodes talks a little bit about people who've grown up during recessions um, and how that's affected their relationship with money. So a lot of that money belief really kind of comes down to your family, what decade you were born, what was happening at that time and so forth. Yeah. And it's not meant to be doom and gloom and you're stuck with it forever. Um, the point of reflecting on these questions is to help you identify and uncover any beliefs that you might have about money and investing, including those that you haven't fully explored or recognized yet. And future ones. I never knew I had these uh, parental, yeah. <laughs> parental <covering> them. <laughs> money beliefs, you know, as, yeah. as you keep growing in your life, you, you come across new crazy money beliefs that you didn't realize were there. Yeah. And when you sit back and you're like, oh, wow, why do I actually think that? It's definitely a very interesting time. Mm-hmm. The next one we're going to talk about is a big one. I think that everyone experiences, not just in money, but in like every area of their life, but it's analysis paralysis, the inability to take action due to overthinking. We can Google literally everything we want at the moment. I Google everything all day, um, but this can find us a never ending amount of information in like literally all areas, areas of our lives. There's an amazing TED talk about analysis paralysis and the more options we have at our fingertips, the more of a paralysis we actually feel. We love choice, but to a certain point, having maybe two choices between, you know, A and B is great. But as soon as you have A, B, C, D, E, F, G, like just think of a massive menu that you have when you go to those restaurants that have and breakfast and lunch and dinner and a bunch of different things. It's so overwhelming to choose something because you're more concerned about the wrong choice than having the choice that's right for you. Yeah. What's that called? The paradox of choice. And that's why yeah. like people like, was yes. it Steve Jobs wear the same outfit to work every single day? Cause they were trying to remove all the endless options of choice from their life to make their lives easier. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I think I get stuck with this as well, but it's kind of like when you're procrastinating doing something. So you're procrastinating, starting an assignment, you're procrastinating going for a run, like starting is the hardest part, but it's never as bad as you make it out in your head. And analysis paralysis when it comes to the financial side can be so overwhelming. We've talked a little bit about this before, but I know that when I first started investing, there were so many choices. Was I making the right choice? How much money was I going to invest? What was the broker that I was going to go with? What ETFs was I going to invest in? And all of that just became absolutely 
overwhelming, but we can change our mindset and we can change the way that we connect with that. And some of the ways that we can do that is just by changing our language. So for example, saying, you know, I'm not good with money or I'm not good at math is probably not the best way that we can talk about these things. Saying I'm not good with money yet is a different way because we're talking about future. We're willing to change. So that's really kind of important in changing that mindset when it comes to money. Yeah. What I hear all the time is I don't have enough time. And I say this as well about everything. Like I don't have enough time to go to the gym. I don't have enough time to cook today. I don't have enough time to pick a broker. But reframing that to I'm not prioritizing this right now really helped me change my mindset around it. Being like this isn't a priority right now. And then sitting back and thinking, actually, this this is a priority. I do want to prioritize this. And we don't have to like go like I'm a very all or nothing person. I like to do everything or not do it at all. So stepping back and being like, no, I can do 10 minutes a day. I don't have to have a perfect investment plan on my first day of Googling stuff. Yeah, exactly. The other one that I find is like, I'm always often worried about making the wrong choice. You know, um, you don't want to make, especially when it comes to money, you don't want to be making the wrong choice. But the thing is, you don't need to have a perfect plan. And in fact, by delaying something, you might be missing out on time when it comes to compounding. And so just by starting small with something that feels good enough, because chances are you've done enough research, you know, you've, if you're having analysis paralysis, you probably have done a lot of research and you just really need someone to just give you that last push. Like you can do it. So even just, just starting one. small, yeah, just, just starting small, pick one ETF, pick whichever brokerage just to get started is probably just the push you need. Yeah. The not making a choice is a choice was something that really got to me. Cause like, if you're oh, sitting yeah. there not deciding, yeah, I was like, Oh God, like I, yeah, that that's me completely. I, I've made a choice to not take action instead of taking action. So that's a really good one. Inaction is a choice. Yes. Yeah. Very true. Some other ways we've found to help us combat analysis paralysis. Um, this is the main one for me, but removing the choice by automating your saving and investing. So obviously you do have to decide at the start and set those things up, but removing that day-to-day choice for me has been huge. Ooh, the other one is uh, having a deadline. I think like saying by Friday, I'm going to find a broker by next week. I'm going to have invested in one ETF is a really, really good one to help keep you accountable and, and have an accountability buddy. That's my yeah. favorite, you know, like tell, tell your buddy it. to check in with you. Yes. Yeah. Have like money catch ups with your partner or your friend or your family member, like have that regularly, like, yeah, a money monthly day. That'd be so good. I like, yeah, I have to treat my life. Like I'm still at uni and give myself university deadlines and solid, like you have to do your things by this. And that kind of gets me going. Remember that action is better than waiting for perfection. As I said before, I'm a very all or nothing person, but remembering that getting things done and not focusing on perfection is better than not doing it at all. Yes. Yeah. That's exactly the point we were trying to make before, where it's like inaction is still a choice, right? Mm -hmm. Another one is considering the opportunity cost. So does that, you know, 0.05% better interest rate on your savings account really make that much of a difference if you've spent, you know, two to three months searching for the right one, you know, just doing the thing is probably going to get you closer to your goals than. Yeah. I had to tell myself this one. I got so stuck looking for brokers and finding the perfect broker and that kept me like held me up for months, but really does saving 50 cents on brokerage really matter in the long term? Like, no. Not really. It's interesting the broker one was the one that held you back. For me, it was like, what ETFs? No, I just bought them all. I bought bought like a different one every month. I was like, it's fine. I'll just buy them all. We'll just try them all out. Oh, in retrospect, I wish it was just one, you know, just start with one. (laughs) Oh my God, my tax now and I'm filling out like my tax return thing. It's like every single ETF that I've ever bought. I should consolidate them, but my poor accountant. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Well, we learn, we learn. This is why we're doing this podcast so you don't (laughs) make the same mistakes mistakes we did. Yeah. (laughs) 
well, it's really interesting how we all get caught up on very similar things. Like it's the broker or the ETF. And like, instead of just starting, we all kind of get stuck at one point being like, oh no. And then hold ourselves back from doing it. We just need like a package deal, you know, like uh, yeah. VDAG, Perler, done. All right, there you go. <laughs> yeah, literally. That's, that's a great, that's a great solution. Not giving any financial advice. <laughs> Please do your own research. <laughs> yeah. We love getting everyone involved and we love hearing all of your responses. So our question of the week is what was the biggest thing that held you back from getting started? We're going to post our little audio links on like my Instagram and the Get Rich Slow Club Instagram as well. So go have a look for that. And you can send us a little voice memo answering what was the biggest thing that held you back from getting started? Or you can also just send us a question as well, because we'd love to do little like voice memo Q and A's in the future. And in the meantime, we want to hear your responses from last week. So let's hear from our community. My financial goal is to create generational wealth for my family and those to come. I'm currently pregnant, so my current money goal is to lower expenses and financially prepare myself that I only have to work part-time once the baby's here. I would love to secure a secondary income that is substantial enough that I can help my kids with their dreams. My Perla dashboard lets me set a goal, so I've got my goal for my first 100,000 invested. So far, I'm at 40%. Feels amazing. Gives me something to work towards. Thank you so much to everyone who's taken a moment to share. I always love listening to them. Um, I feel like when I'm just messaging people on Instagram, it's just text. I don't get the same emotional response. When I hear someone's voice actually answering a question, I'm like, oh my God, they're all the real people out there. It's very exciting. Absolutely. We love hearing from this community. And to close it off, action of the week. Write down what's holding you back from investing and what you can do to get started. So sit down, think about all the things you've been wanting to do and what is actually stopping you and what can you actually just do to get started as well. Yeah. Analyze those limiting beliefs of parenthood and money. (laughs) Don't overanalyze. (laughs) Don't overanalyze. Do the thing. Just do the thing. Open the broker. Invest $5. Just do the thing. Yeah. We've got you. We've got you. you. You've got this. Thanks for joining us this week and we'll be back for more fun money combos next week. Bye everyone. Thanks so much for joining us in this episode. If you found it helpful, feel free to leave us a rating or review or share with a friend. Make sure to follow us on social at Get Rich Slow Club, or you can follow Tash at Tash Invests or me at Anna Christina. This show was brought to you by Natasha Etchman, who is an authorized representative, 12998881 of Guideway Financial Services, AFSL 420-367, and Perla, who is an authorized representative, 1281540 of Sanlam Private Wealth, AFSL 337927. Knowledge is power, especially when it comes to investing. So make sure you check out our financial services guides and read the product disclosure statement and target market determination for any investments you're considering. See our show notes for more info. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. 
If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.